Our God is limitless. Now that ought to excite you. God is unlimited. That ought to make every day better. God is mighty. We know that, right? God is all powerful. We could say that the power of God is uh, limitless. There, is no, there are no limits in God. There are no limits to what a God can do for you. There's no limits to what you can receive from God. Uh, God is big enough. God is great enough. God's power is powerful enough to do anything and everything. Hallelujah. So this morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. This is a scripture that we could all quote. And we all probably go around saying it a lot. But I want us just to get our eyes on it this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus is speaking here. And he looked at them and he said, you know, with men, this is impossible. You ever felt that way? Come on, looking around at the natural, uh, looking around at your own ability and thinking, wow, this looks pretty impossible. But Jesus said, but with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. With God, all things are possible. Now, remember, we're, we're reading this in relation to us. Not just in relation to who God is, but in relation to who God is to us. Hallelujah. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Verse 13 and 14, we're going to read here again. I want you to see these. We could probably quote this one also. Now recognize this, that this scripture was written in relation to Jesus said that the works that he did are the same works that we're going to do. So that already connects this with God in relation to us. Hallelujah. And this is what Jesus said in verse 13. He said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask. We're talking about the limitlessness of our God. We're talking about God being unlimited. Jesus said, whatever you ask, he'll do it. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And he didn't put anything after that. Anything. Jesus can do anything. That is a truth, and we need to receive it as a truth. As a truth from God. Now, truth from God means it never changes. It means it always remains the same, no matter what your situation, no matter what your season. This truth never changes. You know, something that's true can be true one minute, and false another minute. But truth never changes. It's eternal. When Jesus said it, he meant it. And it's the truth. And we have to receive it as such. So while we're living life, we have to receive as the truth that with God all things are possible. That Jesus said that whatever we ask in his name, if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. We have to receive that as truth. And therefore, our life has to be measured against that truth. 
Brother Hagin made this statement. He said, uh, I don't view God's word in light of experiences. Because this is the deal. We're all living in the earth. He said, I don't view God's word or I don't look at God's word in light of experiences. But rather, I look at experiences in light of God's word. Because if you start looking at your experiences or someone else's experiences, where they prayed and it didn't happen, or they asked to be healed and it didn't yet happen, or they needed to be delivered and we hadn't seen that yet, if you start looking at that and thinking that that's the truth, now that might be true in a moment, but it is subject, hallelujah, it is subject to change by the power of God. It is subject to change by the truth of God. So we have to receive the truth, believe the truth, and know that any experience is measured in relation to that truth. If Jesus said that if we believe and we call upon the name of Jesus, that he'll deliver us, then if we're not yet seeing deliverance, it's not that anything about our experience is greater or more powerful than the word or the truth of the word or the power of the word. It just means we've missed something. Something hadn't lined up yet. And what that does is it keeps us ever in pursuit of the reality of getting the reality of the truth of God's word in our life. And that makes life enjoyable. (laughs) That's what makes you not give up. Anytime you start measuring your life or you start giving greater weight to experiences or someone else's experiences then you give to the truth of God's word, you're going to find yourself in a hole. And life is not fun. Life is not enjoyable. You'll have trouble living life, as a matter of fact, with God from the hole. Because God didn't put you in a hole. God put you on the top of the mountain. God's already given you the victory. He always causes us to triumph. But we got to know the truth, believe the truth, stand on the truth, and not let nothing compete with Or nothing contradict the truth. Hallelujah. Matthew 17, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to run through a couple of these. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, and we're not going to talk about the mustard seed today, that type of faith, but if you have faith that says nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. That ought with some excuses ought to be just, just flittering away right now. (laughs) John chapter 11 verse 40 Jesus said this he said did I not say to you now remember we take the word personally we know that this was uh, spoken to um, uh, Martha and Mary about about their brother Lazarus but Jesus is actually speaking this to you this morning did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God so here we see the connection to the limitlessness of our God working in the earth in our behalf, connected to our faith, connected to us believing. Hallelujah. Remember, it's God, not just God up there, God who he is, but God in relation to us. Hallelujah. So if we're going to uh, be able to have faith, to really believe so that we can receive, then first thing we're going to have to do is believe that God is limitless. That God's power is unlimited. 
We're going to have to believe that God is and that what it says in Hebrew eleven six, faith that pleases God, that he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is what, that he is what he says, that he, he is who he says, that he will do for me personally what he says. That's first. If we can't believe that, we're really not going to be able to have faith. We're not going to be able to believe. We're not going to be able to receive this great unlimited power of God to change every situation. So the truth is, absolutely, there are no limits in God, ever. The only limits that there are in God, in the earth, in relation to us, is the limits that we put on Him. By our own doubts and our own unbelief, So we've got to dare today. My endeavor is to help you take the limits off. Come on, help you pop the top off of any containments and any restrictions about this great God that we serve. This great God who loves you is for you. Has already given you exceedingly great and precious promises. (laughs) Hallelujah. The God who is at work for you, wants to do good things for you, never deny you, never hold back from you. But we're going to have to take off the limits. You know, last year we talked about more. It was the year of more. There is more. We talked about believing God for more. We talked about learning how to dream and how our dreams were important. That dreams help us to to basically see bigger. But once we get to that that dream, now we're going to have to be able to pull the reality of that in so that we're not boxing God uh, according to anything that's natural or according to our parameters. Jesus said that he was going to come that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. I want to tell you what that word more abundantly means. This is how we're supposed to be living. This is what Jesus has already bought and purchased and paid for. And he paraded it around, not only in front of heaven, so that heaven would know, but that hell would know too. So every blessing, every goodness, all that is life has already had your name on it. Praise the Lord. Abundantly means super abundance. It means excessive See, part of your problem with limiting God is, is you're like, oh, you know, God, I don't want to ask for too much. <laughs> the more abundant life means excessive. It means overflowing. It means not just barely enough, but way, 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 way more than enough. <laughs> it means a surplus. It means over and above. It means more than enough. It means profuse. It means extraordinary. It means above the ordinary. This is the life. Don't forget that Jesus already paid for you. Already declared the minute you were born again. Boom, you stepped into God life. The excessive, overflowing, profuse, super abundant life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, and it also means way more than sufficient. I think about that scripture that says that his grace is sufficient. And when I see that, you know, naturally would think his grace is just barely enough. That's not true. It means his grace is way more than enough. 
Hallelujah. But if we are going to have faith, if we are going to believe and we are going to receive, we're going to have to do it in relation to God being unlimited. We're going to have to learn to not limit him in any way. And really, we are able to do this. I want you to know that you are able to believe God. How do I know that? Because Jesus came in the earth as a man, laid aside his deity, got filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you're going to do this like this today, you're going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this yourself because this uh, life with God, this life in the limitlessness of God is a life that's, that's in the Spirit. So you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit like Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And then Jesus lived in the earth in relation to God, how we are now supposed to live in the earth in relation to God. And Jesus was in constant connection with the unlimited source of who God was. When you see Jesus in the ministry of Jesus, in him working with God, there were no limits to what could happen. Uh, Second Peter tells us this. This is how we know this is within us. Second Peter verse one, uh, chapter one, excuse me, verse three and four says, as his divine power has given to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who is called by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be the partakers of his divine nature. The nature of Jesus was to believe God. When you're born again, within you comes the measure of faith, comes a measure of faith, and within you already right now, you are able to believe God. That is resident on the inside of us, is that we are capable of believing God. Hallelujah. And that excites me again. So you don't ever have to say, I just, I, I, don't, I, I don't have enough faith. I, I just can't believe God. No, no, no. Within you, you need to just stir yourself up. Come on, stir yourself up. Come on, get in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Build yourself up on your most holy faith so that you can step into the all things are possible with God for me mentality. Hallelujah. So if we know that God is able, if we know through the scriptures Old Testament and New Testament, that God is capable, why is it that we don't always see the manifestation of what we're, we're believing or what we're asking? Why is it that we don't always see the result? Why is it that we don't always get the answer? And it is because although God is unlimited, He can be limited by us. He can be limited by us. You say, is that possible? Isn't he God? We don't limit God himself, who he is, but we limit how God can work. We limit what God can do in the earth for us, through us, with us. Uh, In the beginning, when God put Adam and Eve in the earth, he created them in his own image, put them in the earth, and he gave them dominion. So they were to rule the earth in relation to their connection to God, their God, they were put in charge of the earth. God gave them total dominion and total authority to rule in the earth. So much so 
that when they chose to give it away to the devil, they chose to give it away, they chose to disobey God and give it away, God had to let them. Because so complete was their dominion in the earth and the system that God set up was that they would be in the earth, they would rule and they would reign through their connection with God. So God chose in the beginning to limit his work in this earth according to his people. That's how God set up the system. And one thing that God cannot do, even though he's limited, is he can't lie. So once he sets a parameter, once he sets a system, he can't work outside the system. No matter who you are, no matter what circumstance, no matter how much you beg, no matter how much you plead, God, because he cannot lie. So God chose to work with man. So if we're not having faith, if we're not believing, then God is limited in our life. <clears throat> Limits are boundaries. And, and at times we box, uh, this is just how I describe it, it's, it, we box God in. We put him in a box. And usually his box is, is defined by our own uh, experiences, our own expectations, our own perceptions, our own understanding. And so we put this, this box, him in a box, and we think that he's going to work according to how we have him in the box. But God is so much bigger than the box. And many times God really can't work or won't work according to your box because God needs you to know that he is God. And we need to believe him for the fullness of who he is. Hallelujah. And so we see in the Old Testament uh, that the Israelites limited God, it said. Now Psalm 78 is a great psalm. You should read it. It goes through, it just begins to give miracle after miracle after miracle that God did for the Israelites. You know, he delivered them out of the hand of, of Egypt. He, he uh, split the Red Sea for them. Uh, he, he led them every day by a cloud and by fire at night. He rained down manna from heaven. He gave them a quail to eat. He brought water out of the rock. Those are like some pretty wow, some pretty wow things, right? And so when you read Psalm 78, that's your assignment this week. You go home and read Psalm 78. Uh, but we see this happening in verse 40. If you could put this up, Psalm 78, turn with me there to verse 40. I want you to see this. Here it was, God had done all these amazing things, miracle after miracle, supernatural things. But it says in Psalm 78, verse 40, it says this, How often they provoked him in the wilderness, and they grieved him in the desert, Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited. This is what the scripture says. That they limited God. And we know there are other scriptures and if you, if you do read Psalm 78, you'll see it in there where it actually talks about their unbelief. But look at what it says next. It says, they did not remember His power. This was at the root of their, or the, of their doubt. Or this was at the root of their unbelief. Is that they didn't remember his power. In other words, they forgot. You know, my, my thing about testimonies is when you get a testimony, you got to write it down. Because no matter how great and how wonderful it is over time, it, it just becomes like a part of your life. You need to get out your testimony, remind yourself, read it again. 
Encourage yourself. Remind yourself of who God is, how God, how He showed up for you, what He did for you. They forgot to write down the testimonies or they forgot to read them. They forgot to get them out of their mouth. They forgot the power of God, how He had showed up miraculously over and over and over again. They forgot the greatness of Him. If we don't remember who God is and what God can do, if we don't keep that active in our life, we will allow doubts. We will allow unbelief to creep in. We will forget this great God that is unlimited. We see that people limited Jesus in the New Testament. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. So the Israelites were Old Testament. Here we go. We're going into the New Testament. Jesus was on the scene. He had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was now walking around operating as the Son of God, doing good things for people, healing people, delivering people. But look what happened here. Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And now he could do no mighty work there except that he's laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. It says he could not. It didn't say he wouldn't. If you haven't laid the willingness of God, always yes and amen. If you haven't laid the willingness of God to rest concerning the promises... That's a whole nother message. We know the willingness of God is always yes and amen according to His promises. But this said that Jesus couldn't do any mighty work and He couldn't do it because of their unbelief. Even though they had seen Him doing miracles all amongst the people. He couldn't do any mighty work. He could only barely help a few sick people, a few people that were sickly. That means that the power of God was present to heal everybody. But because of their unbelief, they limited God. They limited Jesus. Jesus was not able to do what He was fully capable of doing, what I'm sure He wanted to do for them. He was not able because of their unbelief. Hallelujah. So this is where we got we to start looking at ourselves and analyzing our life. You know, we're people of faith. We're called to live by faith. We need to be having faith. We need to have faith projects. We need to be working our faith. And sometimes things of faith are instant. Sometimes things are are in the Bible. I mean, instantly, if you need to be saved, you can be saved today. There's no things you have to line out or work out. You can be saved today. You can be healed today. You can be delivered today. Praise God. But then there are some things that... Even though they're promises of God, it might take some some things having to get in order and line up. You know, maybe you're needing something at work and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a few steps of instruction and obedience uh, to get you in the right place. And that's where we find many times when the Bible says that uh, we inherit the promises by faith and patience. Sometimes something might take a little while. It doesn't have to take 40 years like it did for the Israelites. I think their journey was only supposed to be two weeks. But because of their unbelief, they wandered for 40 years. 
So it doesn't, it's not like it has to be 40 years for you. If you'll hear God, obey God, have faith. But sometimes there are things, and it's usually along that patient category that we let doubts and unbeliefs begin to creep in. We, we take on things, we take on thoughts, we, we take on uh, all kinds of perceptions that allow us to find ourselves not believing God anymore, or doubting God. And sometimes I know for people like us, it's not that we're going to doubt who God is and what God said, it's, 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 it's about me. Is God going to really heal me? Can God really do that for me? And so today we're talking, we're going to talk about some of the ways that we limit God. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list, uh, but today I'm just going to talk about three things. I don't, I don't know if I'll get to all three of them. I, I may not. Who knows? But there's three things, basically, that we're going to explore in this uh, series here. And the first one is, the first way that we limit God, are you ready? Yeah. This, this could change your life. Yeah. Are you ready? The one way that we limit God is we don't ask. We simply don't ask. James chapter 4 verse 2, you have not because you ask not. It sounds so simple, right? But there really is an asking uh, with the Lord. Uh, what, what does it say in Mark 11, uh, 24? It says that when, when we ask, when we're praying, we should believe that we receive. There's something about we have to, we have to connect with God. We have to ask about it. Why are some of the reasons that we don't ask? <clears throat> that one reason we don't ask is because of lack of knowledge. Pastor's been uh, talking about this in his God Why series. Uh, the Bible says that if we have a lack of knowledge, that we can be destroyed. So like if you don't know that God has made a promise to you, then you don't know to ask. If you're not aware that God has said that He will heal you, then you, then you might be hesitant to ask God for healing. There's all kinds of ways that we miss out because we don't have knowledge. And where does knowledge come from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from us knowing the Word of God, what God has said. When, when, God, when the, uh, God said that He gave us, it was His pleasure to give us all of the kingdom. Come on, when he, when he talked about those exceedingly great and precious promises, we've got to know what those are because if we don't, then we'll find ourselves not asking. We'll find ourselves just stuck in our, our, our humanness uh, of going about life and forgetting that there is a great, unlimited, a limitless God who said whatever we ask, that He'll do it. We've got to ask. The second reason we don't ask sometimes is a lack of uh, understanding of our righteousness. Really knowing who we are in Christ that right now, as I stand before God, no matter what happened yesterday, I'm right with God. And I can come boldly into the throne of grace, look God, my Father, in the eye and call forth what I need. Call the help that I need. We forget that. We forget how powerful the blood of Jesus is. That He washed away our sins. We forget that the moment that we received Him, we are instantly made upright. We will never be more right with God 
then we are just through salvation. We don't get righter and righter and righter because we do good things. We are instantly right, instantly perfect, and that status never changes. Glory to God, that ought to make your day enjoyable. <laughs> but if you forget, if you start feeling guilty, if you start feeling like, well, I'm not good enough, well, I, I haven't prayed enough, well, well, maybe I have this sin and, I, and I've done it several times and even though I've repented and I've asked for forgiveness, I just keep on doing it. And so maybe God isn't able to work past that. If you, if you let those, that's all wrong. It's all wrong theology. It's all unscriptural. It's all called not understanding your righteousness. How right you are with God through Jesus Christ alone, then you will find yourself not asking. You will find yourself cowering. And maybe put, I need to put off my asking until I get better. Oh, there's one way to get better real quick. There's one way to get better just instantly, and it is through the blood of Jesus. Just plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood over myself. I plead the blood. And instantly we're made right. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about our righteousness with God. Hallelujah. Sometimes we don't ask because we have, uh, I call it false humility. It's like, I, I've actually had people tell me this. I'm like, well, have you asked God, you know, like to heal you? And they're like, no, you know, it's just a... And they see that they're whatever they're dealing with as something that's minor or something that's so small. I don't, I don't want to bother God with, this, with my stomach aches. Or I don't, I don't want to bother God with, with my sinus issue because, you know, there are people that have cancer. So what you're telling me is that there's only enough power? Like we have to be careful about praying for the, for the power because there's only enough power to do certain things. That's, that, that's limiting God. God is limitless. There is way enough power. There is way enough power at, at any moment, at every moment, to heal every, to fix every, there's enough power right here in the earth in this moment to fix every single thing because God is unlimited, because the power of God is limitless. Don't let yourself slip into that trap. Remember, Jesus came to give you life. And not just to barely get by, not just squeak through, not just trudge through life. No, I'm talking about over the top good life. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be broke. You don't have to be downcast. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be confused. Let's look at an example here of asking, what asking can do. Turn me over to John chapter 2. This is actually the first miracle that Jesus did. The very first miracle. Where Jesus turned the water into wine. And we're not, we're not scared to, to preach this, this account today. Just because people today have turned and abused wine. So if you're, if you're a little not solid or if you have any doubts about the why we don't drink wine, 
Did you hear that? Why we don't drink wine. Then you need to pull out, Pastor Chaz has preached the, the best message I have ever heard on solving the issue and not doing it by the law. We're not doing this by the law. So we're happy that Jesus turned the water into wine. All right, so let's read this account here in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. So people are thinking, well, she just said they don't drink wine, but yet Jesus turned it into wine. And so this has to do today with the alcoholic content. In this day, wine was non-alcoholic. I think the statistic I read recently is it takes something like, it's just an astronomical number, like today, to drink one glass of what wine is today and the alcoholic content, it takes like so many glasses, so many, I mean like not, not like nine, like many, 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 many of what an old type wine would be. It was grape juice. It was grape juice. So we could just call it grape juice. So Jesus turns the water into grape juice. How about that? John chapter 2 verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus... Why am I going to stop there? This is an issue. I don't know who this is for today, but this is an issue here. Wine is going to rob you and steal from you and lead you down a wrong path. And this is where you have, you have, to, you have to be willing to hear the truth and search out the truth. Culture doesn't drive us. The Bible does. We are the church. We are supposed to look different from the world. And so Jesus was there at the wedding. It says, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine or grape juice, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no grape juice. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set six, pool, uh, six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made into grape juice and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man beginning at the beginning sets out the good grape juice and when the guests have well drunk, not got drunk, look at me, not got drunk, not got tipsy, when they had drunk well, it means when they had had their fill. You know, you're outside at a wedding, it's hot, you want something to drink. So he was really describing that, that they were just having their fill. You got it? Okay. So he said, after the guests have uh, well drunk, then the inferior comes. He said, you have kept the good grape juice until now. And this beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Hallelujah. We got a miracle. They got a miracle at the wedding because his mother asked. Good work. His, her asking was, hey Jesus, we're out of this. 
In other words, she was implying, we're out, do something. And that's why she turned right around to the servants and said, whatever he says to you to do, go ahead and do it. And what I love about this account is that this really, this, this wine or this grape juice was not a real need. They had had a supply. And they had already drunk well. They had already, they had already gotten their fill. So what we have to understand is don't limit your asking because you're thinking it's excess or you're thinking uh, this is not a, a dire need. Like, like if I don't get this, it's, it's life or death. Jesus is way in the midst of our life beyond just life and death situation. Jesus wants to enter into your wants rather than just your needs. How about that? Jesus wants to enter into your wants rather than just your needs. This was a totally just a provisional want that the mother had. She was probably like the wedding coordinator. And just in order to keep make, make things go and make things work out right, you know, she just wanted there to be some more grape juice. And so she just simply remembered to ask. Hallelujah. John 15, 7, uh, 15, 7, Jesus said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, what you desire, and it'll be done. You will ask what you desire. Come on, we're taking some limits off today. Hallelujah. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Hallelujah. And we'll talk a little bit later in some of these other ways that we limit God, but it is important to note that Mary told them, go ahead and do it. Don't let your head get involved. Don't you be thinking about it. Don't you put any limitation on what Jesus says. And so because they, they believed and because they acted, they heard, she asked, the miracle came. Hallelujah. If she hadn't asked, there'd probably been no miracle. We wouldn't be reading about this account. I remember one time years ago, uh, this was like way back in my beginning days when I was at my old church and I, I was there. We had a midweek service on a Tuesday night and it was Tuesday night and, and um, <clears throat> the offering time came around and <clears throat> I had had this it's been so long ago, I don't remember what it was that I really kind of wanted. I think, I think yesterday the Lord, Lord impressed, I think it was a piece of luggage, a piece of travel luggage that I was really wanting to buy, but it wasn't like a real necessity. It wasn't like I wasn't going to be able to travel without it, uh, but I, I kind of wanted it. I, I felt like I should get it, but it was $300, and I didn't really have the extra $300, you know, to buy it. And so, it, you know, for, for a few weeks, it had just kind of been rolling around my heart. You know, I really would, I really need that. I, I really would like to have that $300 so I, could, so I could buy that, you know. And so I went to church on a Tuesday night, and uh, as the offering time came around, all of a sudden, I don't remember if it was, if it was uh, the male or the female pastor that was speaking but they just said all of a sudden, they said something and they said, and don't forget you have not because you ask not. And when they, when they said that, it just, it just like lit up on the inside of me that here it was, I, I really wanted $300 so that I could buy whatever it is that I wanted, but I had not asked God. And I just recognized that I was really, I was really limiting God, you know? And so just very quickly, I just said, well, Lord, I asked, I asked for it right now. In Jesus' name, I asked for that $300. You know what? That $300 came the very next day. The very next day. 
simply because I asked the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. We got to remember to ask the Lord. Who here right now, sitting here right there this morning, is thinking, you know what, I've been having something and I haven't asked the Lord. Well, stand up, just stand up. If you've been, if right now you're just thinking, you know what, there's that something and I haven't really asked for it yet. Just stand up right now in your chair. Just stand up right now. Whatever it is. Now, now get whatever it is. Okay? Now, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, here we are. In this moment, we're going to appropriate your word because you said that when we ask and we believe that when then we will receive right now. So go ahead and ask the Lord. Go ahead and just ask the Lord and receive it right now. Kike, you're getting it right now. It's coming right now, whatever it is. And it's not too big. Go ahead and ask big. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask big. Come on. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Come on, you got it right now. I believe there's power right now. Power, tremendous power made available in the midst of that situation. And the answer comes now. The answer comes in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Just rejoice for a moment. Be happy. Believe you got it. Believe you receive it. His power, come on. It's limitless. Hallelujah. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Praise the Lord. Now you be expecting it. And don't you be putting any limits as to when or how, because that's what we're going to talk about next. The next way that we limit God, that we allow ourselves to sometimes slip into doubt or unbelief is because of these things. Human reasoning. Uh, We try to logically figure it out. We, we, in order to believe it, we have to understand it. We work it in our mental capacity. And also in this category is time restraints or time elements. Here's an example. And I'm not saying it has to work it always has to be right, right to the wire. But let's say that you've asked God for something and you've been believing God for something and you've recognized here you are that in two days, whatever it was that you asked for, you've, you've already had need of that. See, real faith, if you've really asked, believed, received, real faith wouldn't be thinking, oh my gosh, it's two days away, I better do something. If you just did that, you've already limited God. And really, the truth is you're not in faith. You might be in a hope, hope of an expected end, but you're not really sure. Faith is already, I've already prayed, I've already believed, I've already received, I've already got the answer. And if you, if you are in real faith and maintain that faith, you will find out that when you wake up that day, that you will have whatever it is. But if you talk yourself out of it because here it is, I've been believing for a month and now I'm two days away and I know how, how, how could it happen in two days? Something has to get to me. Two days, it's not even... You, you, now you're limiting God. You're going to talk yourself right out of a miracle. You're going to limit God's power from working in your life because you're trying to reason it all out or figure it out or how's God going to do this or, or what are the time parameters? This is some good stuff right here. I want you to know that God is way beyond your human reasoning, your mental capacity. 
He works beyond human uh, time restraints. He doesn't need you or want you to try to figure it out or make it logical. (laughs) God does not work in the same ways that we do. His methods are often very different. They're supernatural. They can be unusual. Uh, They're beyond our expectations. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, put this up. I want to read these two. I want you to look at these two here. Isaiah 55. Verses 8 and 9. This is the Lord speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Come on. Listen, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cannot be limited God by our, our thoughts and how we think and what's, how's it going to work out in the way that God's going to do it. And sometimes we don't even mean to do this. But we will come and I, I, this is a really good example. I've had people come down in something in a court situation. And really what they're needing in the court situation is, let's say that they need, um, they need to be released from whatever the injunction is about them. And what they will come is they will come and they will tell me, I want you to pray, and then they'll tell me how to pray, what to pray. I want you to pray that the Lord moves upon the heart of the judge. What if that's not how the Lord wants to do it? You're limiting God. When you do that, you just limited God. If you're going to tell God how you think God's supposed to do his job, you are in a really not good place. Because now you are putting more reliance upon your own intelligence, your own what reasoning, your own what you think you know. Listen, and we know that we have Christ in us, but when it comes to really knowing how God works, we are way beneath. His thoughts are way higher. Come on, his ways are way higher than ours. And we got to make room for that. We got to make room for that. So what we do is we just come up, we say, you know what? I've got an injunction against me and I'm just believing God that, that I'm going to be released and everything's going to work out in my favor. That's how we pray. That's how we believe God. And then it goes on in verse 11 to say, because God is talking about his thoughts and his ways being higher than ours. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing from which I sent it. So God is saying if we can simply get his word, the promise, the end result on it and leave all of the rest of it to God in his higher ways, his methods, then we'll find in the the end that we tapped into an unlimited God And you know what? We might actually see more miracles today because we're not trying to manipulate. You need money? No, your first thought is not who can I ask? Or who? how can I expect God to, to get money to me? That's not your first thought. That's not your thought at all. Anywhere in the equation. Your thought is I have a need. God said he will meet my need. God, I thank you that you're supplying my need. And that's it. Romans 11, 
chapter, uh, verse 33. Now, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. I think it's the classic Amplified. If you can't get that up there, that's okay. But I want to read this. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable, unfathomable, inscrutable are His judgments and His ways, His methods, His paths, past finding out, untraceable, mysterious, and undiscoverable. In other words, we will never, ever, ever, ever get to the end of all of the different ways that God can and will. Even all the ones that we see in the Bible do not exhaust God. He is not mysterious in that He is not mysterious in one that we cannot know. But how He accomplishes things can be quite mysterious. Because supernatural things, they're, they're not normal to us. So we can't limit God by trying to get in the midst of all of the things and tell Him how to do things. Here are a few ways that God is different than man's ways. God calls us to live by faith, acting upon what is not seen, even when it seems impossible. Yet man lives by natural senses, what he can see, feel, hear, touch, and smell, and, understand, and, and wants to live by only what he understands as possible. God works in miraculous ways. Man works in natural ways. Man is uh, limited. He is natural. God is supernatural. And He's unlimited. God plans or He lives. He works in, as far as the time realm, He works in eternity. Yet we work in earth time. God's ways many times are out of this world. I know I've told this story many times, but it's still a good story. How I sowed a seed of $50, and after I sowed the seed of $50, the man of God pointed at me, and he was pointing at people, and he was saying, you're going to get a hundredfold return, you're going to get a hundredfold return. And he pointed at me, and you know what? I believed him. I believed him, even though I was on a salary job, I had no way, there was no way of, of money coming to me. That would be $5,000. That was, that was a lot of money, and I, you know, wow, a hundredfold. But for three months, I simply, I simply believed it. I would walk around my house saying, thank you, Lord, for my hundredfold seed. Thank you, Lord, for my harvest. I got it. And I would just keep the thoughts of how, how. I, uh -uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, because really, I, I wouldn't have known even had to know how. And then I went to another meeting, and in that meeting, the Lord told me to claim double on my hundredfold seed. So now I was expecting not $5,000, but $10,000. And I was like, man, that to me was like mind-blowing. That was like, what, what, like a miracle. But I wasn't thinking, who's going to give it to me? How, how's this going to work? Do I, need to, do I need to find another job? What do I need? No, no, I just knew that God. I knew that God. And I knew that if I had an instruction from Him, uh, when the instruction came, I would know it and be able to do it. And I got back from that meeting where he said claim double and I walked into my office in a salaried position and my boss wanted to see me at the end of the day and he gave me a personal check, not a company check, not a payroll check that had payroll taxes. He wrote me a personal check and it was for exactly $10,000. He had no idea. God used a heathen. God used a heathen. 
bring somebody in the church to come alongside me and bless. He used a heathen to bless me. <laughs> you know the story I was telling you about the, about the $300 and the next day I got, I got the money? I got the money in the most unusual way. I went out to my mailbox that very Tuesday night I was in church. Come on, you need to be in the right place at the right time with the right message, with the right word, and you need to connect your heart. Believe in faith. Mix your faith with it. Let it prosper you. Don't walk out of here today the same. Don't walk out of here today with limits still on yourself. You got to mix your faith with this unlimited God. And I walked out to my mailbox on Wednesday morning, opened my mailbox, and in my mailbox was a check for $327 from the light company. How many of you have ever gotten a check from the light company? I hadn't requested a check from the light company. I didn't know why I was getting a check from the light company. I never got another check from the light company. But I had asked God believing. Now, somebody would say, that $327 wasn't in response to your $300 request because you had just made the request the night before. How did HLNP have a chance to, to get that and write the check and know that and get that to you the very next day? Because God doesn't work in our time realm. God already knew when I was going to ask. Come on, God is working behind the scenes. But if we try to figure things out and do it according to our understanding, you know, that's the way that the Israelites missed the Messiah. They missed Jesus, who they had longed for, who, who had all kinds of things that had been written about, who they had studied about, who they were waiting to come, and they missed him. Because they tried to put him in their box of understanding. Fit him, him who they thought was going to bring an earthly kingdom. Not just a spiritual kingdom right now. And they totally missed the Messiah. This is like a big deal. Like it is so possible that we can be limiting God every day. That's why today, come on. Come on, we're getting some limits off. Turn with me over to, uh, let's see, Exodus 14. Y'all are listening slow, as Pastor says. Exodus chapter 14. This is the parting of the Red Sea. I'm going to choose to not read all the scriptures. Hopefully you know somewhat of the story. But basically what happened is God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt uh, and they were uh, escaping, and then Pharaoh decided that he didn't want to let them go, which God had basically forced him to do. And so they were in pursuit now of the Israelites, and the Israelites came upon the Red Sea. And on, on both sides of them, uh, there were impossibilities. There were uh, mountains on one side, there were uh, uh, 
forts and things on the other side. They couldn't go to the side. And behind them was the enemy that was fast approaching. And before them, in front of them was the Red Sea. But the Lord told Moses, he said, why do you cry to me? Go ahead and tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now see, if this was us, come on, let's get real. If this was us, we would not probably just be praying God deliver us. We would be telling God how. God, let the horses get sick. Lord, let the chariots break down. Lord, Lord, let, let Pharaoh change his mind. Lord, we'd listen. That's why many times tongue is the best way to pray. Because it gets you out of your mind and out of your limitations. <clears throat> so the Lord said that he was going to divide the sea and that they were going to go across it uh, on, the, on dry ground. And he said, I will indeed harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow them. And so we'll read down a little bit further. <clears throat> he was still leading them. Uh, he was still leading the Israelites by cloud by day and a fire by night. But look at this. Uh, he had... So between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, thus it was a cloud and a darkness to one. So basically, he used the same cloud that was giving them light to actually blind or not cause them to be able to see the Egyptians uh, for that time <clears throat> so that they could not come near them all that night. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. And so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Imagine that dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. And then it says, and then the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. And the Lord looked down upon the army and he troubled the army he did take off some of their chariot wheels. Praise God for that. And they drove with difficulty, but they were fleeing into the water. And then he told Moses in verse 26, stretch out your hand back over the sea that the waters may be come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And so he did that. And basically they all perished in the sea. What a miracle. We would have never thought, how unlimited is our God? Nothing is too big. Nothing can stop Him. No sea can stop Him. No mountain can stop Him. No army can stop Him. They say that that water, they studied it out, 75 to 100 feet tall as a wall. For those of you that work in meters, because I go overseas and they're like, what's that? It's 22 to 30 meters they say that it was 12 miles or 19 kilometers wide. They walked over on dry land, yet it was night, no sun, in a sea. All of this totally supernatural. Totally just shows the limitlessness of our God. Hallelujah. Turn with me over to Daniel chapter 3. Verse 17 through 30, this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so what had happened is King Nebuchadnezzar had made a declaration uh, that they could not, that everyone was going to bow down to the golden image that he had made. And so these three Hebrew boys, 
uh, which were in captivity, uh, said, we are not bowing. We are not going to bow to the gold image. We only bow to the one true God, the God of Israel. <clears throat> and so this is what happens in verse 17. The, the <clears throat> three guys, the three Hebrew guys are speaking, and they said, if this is the case... Meaning, if we are thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing to the golden image, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, not if He doesn't deliver us, but know that if we're not thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing, let it be known to you that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they were basically giving the king an ultimatum and just letting him know, I'm not going to bow. I only serve one God. My allegiance is only to one God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward them. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded the certain mighty men of valor to bind them and to cast them into the fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took the three boys up. And then the king was astonished in verse 24 as he rose in haste and he said to the counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said, true king. But he said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Now these, listen, they were in Babylon. These weren't even Hebrews. That must have been a revelation at the moment. They didn't know what the son of God looked like. But they saw the Son of God, and basically they took them out. When they took them out, verse 27, they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, nor the smell of fire was on them. And it goes on to say that they caused the whole decree to be made that no one would say anything bad or derogatory or wrong about the God of the Hebrew boys. And then in verse 30 it says, and the king promoted them. You know this, that, that it's probably possible when they were standing up and saying, you know, if you throw us in, our God is going to deliver us. We already know that their mind was really going into the fact that probably maybe the good their deliverance would come is that they wouldn't get tossed in. Right? I mean, that, that, when, when we're praying, you know, we're always wanting the least, the least uncomfortable way for God to work. I doubt they really were thinking they were going to get tossed into the fire. They're, they might be thinking, well, if he, if he says he's going to do it, the fire pit won't start. <laughs> or or maybe, maybe, maybe a flame will come up, but it won't, you know, it won't be hot. I mean, I doubt they really thought this was the way that it was going to happen. They were thrown in with their clothes. You know, clothes burns quicker than skin does. So they were wrapped in clothes. They were bound up. They were, when they got in the fire and Jesus showed up, come on, 
Jesus showed up, the Son of Man. Uh, it says later an angel, and that's a capital A. The angel of the Lord showed up in their behalf. They got unbound and they came out, praise the Lord, not even smelling a smoke, not a smoke smudge anywhere on them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then, just because Jesus provides exceedingly abundant life, just because the Lord says that He'll do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think, if we can stand up for God and do the right thing, God can bring something greater out of it. They got a promotion. They got a promotion. But they were willing to stand up for God. Now they did this with the Spirit, with the Lord. So I'm not talking about you going to do crazy things and uh, getting disrespectful to your bosses or to authority. I'm not talking about that. But there is a time when you need to stand up for what's right. I remember a story of a, a guy, I knew this guy personally. Uh, he worked at a job and he uh, was, you know, very sold out, committed at the church. He had a responsibility. And uh, they told him that they were going to change their hours. And in changing their hours, he recognized he wasn't going to be able to be at midweek service. And he said it just didn't feel right with him. With God, it just didn't feel right with him. And so he went in and he talked to his boss and he said, I... I really can't be here uh, just on Wednesdays. It's just, can I work a different schedule just to make time for that one? And the boss said, no, this is, this is it. It's the new schedule. And he said, I can't do it. He said, I have a responsibility. And it's an important responsibility. I can't do it. And the boss said, no, you will do it. And he said, I'm not going to be able to do it. And he said, no, you will do it or you will lose your job. And so he went home. He prayed. Huh, still with the Lord. He just felt like he couldn't do it. And so he went back the next day and he told the boss, he said, I'm going to talk to your boss. He was respectful. He never got blood, but he just said, I, I cannot. I'm, I'm just going to talk to your boss because you're saying that the rule's coming from your boss. And so whatever your boss, I, I feel like I need to present it before the boss. And he went to the other boss and the boss said, you know, this is the new thing. I have to, he said, sir, I just can't do it. And he said, you know, you'll lose your job. And he said, I do know that. He said, but what I know in my heart to do is right. It's what I know to do right, and my God will keep me. Amen. And he went home, came back the next day. They changed it, made his schedule work out for them. Amen. Within two months, within two months, he had a promotion. But he never told God how to do it. He never, he just knew that he knew that he knew that he wasn't supposed to agree. But he was respectful, he was honorable, and he was willing what he was thinking, my God's going to deliver me. If he delivers me out of this job, he'll deliver me into another one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's look at one more. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 17. Praise the Lord. Right now, who, who in here has been dealing with a difficult situation at work? been dealing with a difficult situation, stand up on your feet. Maybe it's a difficult boss. I remember the story one time we had a lady in church. Her boss was very difficult, she said, and just always on her and not fair. And she came to Pastor Chaz and she, she said, I feel like I need to go report my boss. I need to go. They're just so difficult and 
Nobody wants to work here and I think I need to go report it. And Pastor Chad said, no, I don't think you should do that. He said, I think you should do what the scripture says. You know what the scripture says? You're going to bless those that curse you. Come on. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to do good. You're going to do good. Come on. You're going to do good to people right in the midst. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do it. Within two weeks, her boss was fired. For Nobody knew why. Nobody had said anything. Her boss was fired. And they came to her and gave her the job. For two weeks now, she was praying, Lord, bless, the, bless her. Lord, do good to her. Lord, she got taken out of that job. And then our church member got put in her job. And she got a $20,000 raise. And I think if you want to know the truth, all this year she had been trying to handle this in her own, trying to figure out how to do with it, what to do. Instead of just getting God involved, instead of just asking God to get in the midst of the situation. But within two weeks, it was totally resolved. Right now, if you're standing up, lift your hands right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we put this into your hands right now. Now, if you've, if you've put any restrictions on God, I want you to cast them off right now. Just cast them off to God. Tell God you're not going to tell him how to work in the midst of this. Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we lift off any limits, restrictions that we've put upon you. And right now, in Jesus' name, we speak a release into the work situation. We speak a release into this job situation. A release comes right now. Hallelujah. 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 Now God is working for you. God is working for you. God is working. He is working in your behalf. He sees you. He hears you. Now you stay in the right place, in the right position. Hallelujah. Turn with me over to Matthew 17. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing miracles, miracles on those job, job situations. Turn it around. Turn it around. And you work in what was meant for evil for good. You're working what was meant for evil for good. You're working what was meant for evil for good. It turns for the situation. It turns for the good of your people. Number three, now remember, we're talking about limiting God, putting boundaries based on our human reasoning, time restraints. Matthew 17, verse 24 and 27 through 27. This is New Testament here. Peter and Jesus. It said, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come to the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. That's a whole other message. Nevertheless, least we offend them. Look at that. Getting in, in line with the government. Least we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Money in the mouth of a fish? How many of you have ever caught money in the mouth of a fish? The command was not... Now, Peter was a fisherman, but it didn't say sell the fish for money. See, instantly we're thinking, 
work. We're thinking, how, how's God going to do it? Or God's going to call somebody to give me the money. Or we're, we're trying to work it all, work it all, work it all, work it all. Stop working it out. Let God work it out. He's unlimited in how he can do it. So number one, even Jesus, maybe there was money already in the mouth of a fish, but for Jesus to know which fish it was, where that fish was, and to get that fish to be the first fish on Peter's hook, that would be a miracle. Or that Jesus somehow got the money in the mouth of the fish so that Jesus, so that Peter could hook the fish. It's a miracle. This is just a miracle. It's a provisional miracle. We are so limited. We so limit God. We so limit God. I, 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 you know, this week as I was going through the message and just thinking, wow, you know, about myself, I'm just thinking, I, I think I've missed out on a lot of miracles because I've just been limiting God. I've been living so low. I've been living so naturally. We don't have to live naturally. We don't have to live naturally. Hallelujah. We got to take these limits off. Know that God is God. He can do it however, whenever. Our job is to simply ask, believe, and receive, and then not let any doubt or unbelief creep in. That's our job. We have the most simplest of, of the jobs. It's God that has to do the power part. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Come on, our God is unlimited. He is unlimited. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.